welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Obviously, you heard we have a new intro. We have a new outro, so I'm pretty psyched about that. And I want to thank Courtney, my virtual assistant, for hooking me up with the right people. She just makes my life so much easier. I am so grateful and thankful to her. And I am also grateful and thankful to Dr. Justin Moore, the CEO of the American Physical Therapy Association, for sitting down with me for this interview. So we did this at CSM a couple of weeks ago on Monday when I first got there, thank goodness, because by Saturday, I just didn't even know my name anymore. Um, So those of you who have never been to the combined sections meeting, I've gone to the past couple of meetings and it's so great. So it's great because the programming is great. And I think the sections have really stepped up their game over the last couple of years and are putting out some fantastic content. All the lectures are so good. Um, This year for me, well, a highlight for me this year was co-presenting with Dr. Justin Jones about... Uh, strength training for the older adult. It was so crazy. We had like 500 people there, 350 in the room, and then another 150 in a, an overspill area to watch. It was, it was great. There was a lot of energy. We had so much fun, and I think we may do it again next year. Um, we'll see what happens. But if you've never gone, I highly suggest it. You get to meet so many people. You get great education. I mean, I took a pre-con course with Peter O'Sullivan, and that interview with him is coming up in a couple of weeks. It's um, he was amazing. The interview is amazing, but CSM is just a lot of fun. You know, over the next couple of podcasts, you're going to get all of the uh, podcasts I did live at CSM, and you just get to meet people. You get to be around like-minded people, and just really have a great time. So. Certainly one of those people is Dr. Justin Moore. So like I said, he is the CEO of the APTA, and he has been honored for his contributions to physical therapy and public policy by receiving the R. Charles Harker Policymaker Award from the APTA's Health Policy and Administrative Section and the Distinguished Service Award from APTA's Academy of Pediatric Physical Therapy. In addition, he has written, presented, and lectured on health policy, payment, and government affairs Uh, to a variety of healthcare and business groups across the country. Some more accolades for Justin. He received his uh, Doctor of Physical Therapy from Simmons College in Boston, Massachusetts in 2005, his Master's of Physical Therapy from the University of Iowa in 1996, and his Bachelor's of Science degree in Dietetics from Iowa State University in 1993. He was honored by Iowa State University's College of Human Sciences with the Helen LeBaron Hilton Award in 2014, and the University's Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition's Alumni Impact Award in 2011. And he was the Family and Consumer Services Young Alumnus of the Year in 2003. He also recently completed a three-year term on Iowa State University's College of Human Sciences Board of Advisors. Anne Moore was part of the inaugural Leadership Alexandria class in 2004 and served on the Northern Virginia Health Policy Forum Board of Directors. So what did we talk about in this episode? 
We talked about what's ahead for the APTA in 2017, their renewed focus on building partnerships with other healthcare ecosystems, the role of advocacy within physical therapy profession, updates on APTA's progress in the new legislative initiatives and regulatory environment, and how can diverse sections within physical therapy work together to promote the profession as a whole, and a lot more. I mean, Justin's great. I'm I'm excited to have him as the CEO of the APTA, and I really thank him so much for taking the time out of an incredibly jam-packed schedule at CSM. Between him and Sharon Dunn, I'm pretty sure they must log in like 14 miles a day, just walking from meeting to meeting to meeting. And so for him to take the time to sit down and and have a great conversation. I'm very thankful. So I hope you all enjoy this. And like I said, if you've never been to CSM, get to the next one. It's in New Orleans next year. How fun is that going to be? So look into it. If you're not part of the APTA, join it um, and you'll have a lot of fun. So thanks again to Justin and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Justin, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Thanks, Karen. Looking forward to it. And for those of you listening, we are sitting in San Antonio at uh, CSM, just at the cusp of CSM. We're just about to start um, and just talking with Sharon Dunn, and she said they're expecting 13,000 people. Correct. Uh, It'll be a record. We've already uh, exceeded what we had in Anaheim last year. So this conference continues to grow not only in participants, but in excitement and energy. And so it's a great, uh, great way to kick off 2017. And so for you, how many CSMs is this? Uh, I started at CSM 18 years ago at APTA. So my first day on the job was orientation with HR. My second day was fly to Seattle. And so that was 1999. Wow. And so uh, 18 years later, I'm sitting in San Antonio at the same conference. So at the same, just a little bigger. A little so. bit bigger and a different uh, exactly. a different position, it was right? Rain, yes, different position and different weather. It was uh, very rainy in Seattle that Oh, week. yeah, it's beautiful. So, I know, exactly. it's crazy. So. Um, okay, so, you know, CSM being at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. um, it's a time to kind of set out a plan for maybe where APTA is heading and... Uh, what is your focus for this year, your focus for 2017? Yeah, my focus is uh, is primarily around the people. APTA has almost 185 uh, staff, and so we're really focused on how do we create a staff culture that really can take the bold and innovation that our profession embodies and implement that and be relevant to members, uh, be relevant to policymakers, uh, and really show our value across healthcare. So we're really focused on the people at APTA uh, that can help implement that vision of our leaders and our members. Uh, the second area we're really focused on is partnerships, is how can APTA be a better partner, uh, both inside the profession, but also with other groups, uh, whether that be healthcare providers or large practices inside the profession, and just really what does partnership mean for the association and how can we leverage that for our future. And let's take a moment to talk about the staff culture, because I think this could be a nice learning experience, even for physical therapists out there listening who may have their own staff, not 187, maybe it's that many, maybe it's only three or four, maybe it's thousands. But what are you what are you doing at APTA to help improve that staff culture? Do you have any tips? Um, no, we're really actually focusing on three big areas of investing in our staff, and, and we kind of label them under... Uh, three different initiatives. First is APTAU or APTA University. How do we help 
our uh, professionals at APTA who are all association professionals, how do we help them define a career path and really uh, get the professional development they need? The second is we've really embraced service. Uh, how do we embrace service as a concept and how do we embrace our service to our community, to our profession, to our members? And so we have another initiative that we call APTA Serve and we're really trying to do that because that obviously uh, builds a sense of community on staff and really helps us uh, focus that we're more than just uh, workers. Uh, we're in a mission-focused organization who has a defined purpose, and so that focus on service. And then last, uh, we're focused on how do we help create a healthier workforce. Uh, we are leaders in that profession-wise and in, in society, so how do we really invest in our staff to create a health culture? And so if people know how to you know, take care of themselves, get fit, uh, and really um, do a lot of things to just have general wellness. And so we have an initiative called APTA Fit. So that, that's some of the things we're focused on, on how to build a staff culture that really embodies our profession. And do you find that these initiatives, aside from, you know, building a, a service culture and fitness, do you feel like that helps to kind of gel the team into a more cohesive unit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have we have outstanding staff, and um, I think we've always had strong individuals. But how do we get them to work together as a team? Yeah, and really get that leverage that we perform higher than having you know just 180 staff that we perform at a much higher level and have that multiplier effect. And so we're we are focusing on teamwork and how do we create teams uh, to really take on some initiatives and, and focuses across the organization. Yeah, because that, you know, oftentimes when you have people with different personalities mm -hmm. and coming from different backgrounds, that can be a big challenge. Exactly. Right? And you know, and, and you know this, is the workforce is changing very rapidly. So how do you, uh, with new professionals coming into the workforce, how does the workplace meaningful for them? And how do we attract and recruit some of this emerging new talent in the profession and outside the profession? And we need to be a different workplace to do that. Yeah, so. absolutely. And so we've got focus on people, focus on the staff, focus on partnerships. So partnerships are tricky, right? Because you want to partner with people who kind of have the same vision and the same values as you because that partnership is an extension of your brand, Correct. right? So how do you go out and seek those partnerships to be in line with what the APTA's vision is? Yeah, a great point. And um, we do want to find people who have the common objectives or common missions to us. And so there are some natural partners out there, but frankly, APTA, and this is part of our history, we spent a lot of time identifying who we are and our place in healthcare. And in some ways, that has sort of created a bubble around us that really hasn't allowed us to be great partners. And so we have this history of success of uh, building our identity and building who we are as an independent healthcare professional. Um, and that has sort of closed some doors uh, as well as um, you know, created some, some challenges. So we're really uh, taking it slow and how do we develop these relationships on based on trust and collaboration and it starts with people like AOTA and ASHA who are some of our natural allies mm -hmm. and how do we really uh, focus on where we can have an impact collectively as therapy professionals but then where are other natural partners whether it's the American College of Sports Medicine and their exercises medicine campaign whether it's the American Academy of Physical Medicine Rehab and our work on uh, rehabilitation research. And so we have a few examples where we partnered well, and then how do we expand that out to, to have meaningful uh, partnerships. And then one that came up unexpectedly was inside the profession. 
obviously through payment reform, some of the large uh, practices uh, had a lot of concerns with what uh, we were doing in that space. And we spent a lot of time just listening, a lot of time talking. Um, we're getting excited about the potential of actually working together. Uh, but right now, just having the open door where we can actually talk to each other has been a positive uh, yeah. partnership with uh, some of the large leaders in, in physical therapy outpatient practice. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't, you know, what I always find amazing is that, and this is an example of, uh, I was reading some social media posts and it was, physical therapist at, from a, it was at a, a conference and sort of just being snarky and kind of bashing the lecturer who is also a physical therapist. Mm -hmm. And so it got me thinking like, how are we supposed to make these partnerships? How are we supposed to have a quote unquote seat at the table if people are looking in from the outside and thinking, these guys, they argue with each other. How are they going to be with us? Exactly. You know? And so how can that culture change? I mean, I just think it's like... I mean, obviously, it's not in any way, shape, or form dignified, nor should it be tolerated. So how as PTs can we change that so that if people are looking from the outside, they think, wow, these guys are kind of, they're, maybe we're not all on the same page, but at least we support each other mm -hmm. in whatever that page may be. Yeah, there's there's a lot of uh, discussion on that topic of physical therapists eat their young. There's mm -hmm. a lot of different examples of that. And um, how do we do develop that collective sense of community that we can be, we can disagree and have healthful discussion, but that we don't tear each other down. Right. And, um, and so there is that fine line of how do you have productive debate? How do you be sort of uh, uh, have intellectual discussion without it becoming a teardown in, in that part of the culture. So yeah. there's a lot to, lot to work on in that space, but I think some of it comes from our DNA. Uh, we've always sort of been the little engine that could, mm -hmm. and um, if you follow the, you know, the, the growth of healthcare professions, physical therapy has a great track record. We've sort of you know, had sharp elbows and been strong on the advocacy side, and, and some of the some of the you know detrimental effects of that is sometimes we're a little more aggressive with each other than we probably should be so yeah I, I agree and it's, you know, it's funny you should mention I'll tell a quick story about sharp elbows so I was w with a, a patient once and he was he works in the financial mm -hmm. realm and we were talking about you know one of anyway another another person in the realm and he's like oh well you know he has really sharp elbows and so coming from a PT standpoint I'm like how can you tell like <laughs> I thought he meant like literally he had like sharp pointy elbows yeah. And he was like, oh, that's sweet, yeah. but no. You know, Immediately, like, you elbow people out of the way. But I was like, how could you tell? Like, they're just really pointy or... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, quick, not, quick, sharp el absolutely. Uh, elbow story. You know, nine times <laughs> out of ten, our competitive nature, our ability to fight for what we believe in is a positive. Yeah. Uh, but every once in a while, it kind of crosses that line and, and does more harm than benefit. Right. So. And and I think as, as the individual, if... If you just kind of take a step back and kind of have an open mind and sit and listen, and yes, maybe you might disagree, mm -hmm. but I think there's always some common ground. And once you can meet that common ground, then I think you have a much more productive conversation versus you can't just come in and steamroll someone and you can't come in and be insulting. Mm -hmm. um, because then, I mean, if I came here for this interview and started insulting you, well, you'd probably get up and walk away, which would be certainly within your right, or it would become like an attack back and forth. And that doesn't do anyone any good. And, and if, it, if we're perceived by not even respecting each other, then how are we going to, like you said, make these partnerships and have the respect that, that we certainly deserve based on our education and, and the, 
the value that we add to the healthcare Absolutely. team. And I think there's been a great lesson for APTA in this as well, is APTA needs to listen more. Um, you know, we for years have been in a position that, you know, we would share information and it was sort of a uh, one-way uh, direction. You know, information would come out from APTA and it's uh, the world's changed. Information is flowing at a much more rapid pace and uh, so APTA can sort of listen, collaborate, and be a partner as much as it can look for partnership. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think partnerships is a great way to go. And that kind of leads me into the next thing that I want to talk about. And within that partnership, you can now have other people outside of the profession be advocates for the profession. Mm -hmm. So I know one of the challenges coming up in, in this year is that concept of advocacy and how can we improve that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that has always worked well is it probably one of the things APT has done very well from a partnership standpoint is in the advocacy space. And so we work a lot with patient groups in Washington, D.C. on letting them carry the message on therapy cap. And so the therapy cap legislation unfortunately hits 20 years old, believe it or not, this year. I do believe it. Yeah, BBA of 97. Yeah, and, I do believe it. And so we, all you uh, listeners out there that feel like you've been advocating for the therapy cap forever, you have. Um, and um, But we are hitting the 20th anniversary. And, and APTA has done a lot to really advance its uh, advocacy operations through the therapy cap. But the real um, win on the on the therapy cap legislation is the efforts of the Parkinson's Action Network, the MS Society, Michael J. Fox Foundation. Uh, these these patient groups that have really uh, have patients who need rehab at a very comprehensive level, who have really engaged on the impact of the therapy cap, and have now we have a partnership. So they work on rehab research with us. They work on other issues, and and that has been one of the real success stories of some of a detrimental policy. Right. Uh, but advocacy, advocacy, as they say, uh, or politics, as they say, makes strange bedfellows. And a lot of times uh, we're, we're partners one day on the advocacy front and the next day we agree to disagree. So. Right, and so what can an individual therapist do to make a difference? Um, they can do a lot of things. Is uh, There's a lot of ways you can be participate in the advocacy enterprise at APTA, um, whether it's attend one of our forums, whether it's write your member of Congress, download the app uh, and just engage in our issues. Um, one of the things that physical therapy has is strength in numbers. You know, um, and so we, uh, there's a lot of ways to participate in our advocacy operation and uh, getting to know your member of Congress. Um, it's, it, it sounds like, a, I always laugh when I talk to students, it's, uh, that seems so intimidating, but every day they meet new people. There's somebody that walks into a clinic that's totally new every day. They introduce themselves. They tell them, you know, and a lot of times they're going to, you know, uh, put their hands on the patient. They have to be very, it's a very trusting relationship. And advocacy is no different. You got to sort of meet the person on their level. You got to talk to them, tell them why you're going to do what you're going to do, and then uh, explain to them the impact it's going to have. And so we're naturals at advocates. Uh, we advocate for patients on a daily basis. So advocating on that macro level and state capitals and uh and on Capitol Hill is, is a great function for physical therapists. Yeah, and I, I have done that a couple of times, both in Albany and at, in Washington, mm -hmm. D.C., and it's one of the best experiences I've had working within the APTA yeah. and working with the APTA. I mean, it's a lot of fun, number one, and number two, you really learn a lot. Like, you learn... It, it is, I will say, I was super nervous the mm -hmm. first time, especially it was myself and one other girl, and we went to my New York city representative, mm -hmm. New York state representative, and neither one of us had ever done it before. Yeah. And it is a little intimidating, but once you get in and you start talking about why you're there, I think that passion comes out and they get it. 
and and you can even like the for instance talking about the Medicare cap uh, my representative had voted in favor of removing it for years Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then this year he did not and so we had to go in and ask why why did this not happen so that's pretty intimidating you know exactly advocacy takes constant care and feeding yeah and you know one of the it, it, the last couple of weeks have been pretty exciting for APK's advocacy efforts is uh, we've run these forums and Hill Days for you know almost 30 years and we'll get a couple hundred people to come to Capitol Hill um, but what's more exciting is states are doing them and organizing themselves and these people who have come to Washington DC and learned how to do them in Washington are taking them back to their state and in Georgia this week I think it was this week or last they had almost 500 people go to the I Georgia saw that on State Capitol yeah and so we don't even that that's such a massive scale of getting a state to advocate and that happened in in Frankfort, Kentucky this week and in in Austin, Texas and seeing that happen in that grassroots that's starting to develop inside of PT where we really are training the trainer um, it's pretty exciting and the other thing that's exciting about it is how engaged students are Uh, students seem to be natural advocates and they seem to uh, be able to do it on a moment's notice and so it's great so aside from the Medicare cap, what what else is on the docket for this year as far as legislative initiatives go? Yeah, well, we're really in a period of uh, wait and see, uh, obviously with the elections of last fall and in the confirmation of uh, Congressman Price this week at HHS, really um, starts to define what the environment will be. And right out of the first of the year, there'll be a lot of discussion around the future of the Affordable Care Act. And so there'll be a lot of engagement on that issue. And APT will take a position on that to really protect things that increase access to care, um, to maintain guaranteed issue so people aren't denied coverage, and to ensure that rehab is an essential benefit. Those were big victories for us back in 2010. And uh, regardless of what alternatives or what modification comes for, uh, we will look to maintain those and be an active part of that debate. And then we'll try to figure out uh, what uh, Congressman Price, now Secretary Price, wants to do at the agency and what his focus will be. He has been fairly pro-small business in healthcare, and so he obviously has a bill in when he was in Congress to allow for opt-out of Medicare. Yep. And so that's uh, so he was supportive of issues on that regulatory reform, but he also has a, uh, a very strong position against the Affordable Care Act. So it's it's sort of issue specific as we uh, right. interpret this new um, this new legislative and regulatory environment, and then the new administrator of CMS, um, the the appointee or the nominee that's coming forward is uh, seen as an innovator, um, a health policy innovator, and so that should be interesting to see how that has an impact on the care we deliver. And what has happened, let's say, what happened last year uh, within our legislative efforts that uh, maybe people don't know about? Yeah, well, we had a very uh, successful end of the year is we passed legislation that we'd been working with the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehab, AOTA, and some other patient groups on how to advance rehab research at the National Institutes of Health. Awesome. And we'd worked on that with Senator Kirk and from Illinois um, and, and Congressman Langevin um, and, um, for a number of years, probably five to six years, and uh, that passed. And then um, at the end of the last Congress, 
and another piece of legislation that we partnered with private practice on, uh, locum tenens, uh, passed as well. So those were two uh, initiatives that got across the finish line, and the common characteristic of both of them were partnerships. Yeah. Uh, we partnered with PPS on the locum tenens, with physician and patient groups on the rehab research uh, initiative. And then last but not least is the Avalco's window to effect. Right, um, right. And we're seeing very positive um, early returns on the eval codes. Uh, people are seeing some increased values uh, due to a practice expense increase. And we're seeing pretty good understanding of it. And just last week, uh, APTA won an award with AMA for the education efforts that we undertook to educate our providers on those new evaluation codes. So. Nice. So I know that evaluation code uh, change was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of negotiation with that. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite an uh, undertaking. As yeah. we had, uh, physical therapy had been defined by one evaluation code for almost 25 years, and uh, obviously very familiar to us and very core to what we do from a billing standpoint. And APTA worked with a number of associations over a number of years to see if we could change it to a tiered evaluation. And uh, ended up with three new codes, mm -hmm. uh, sort of a low, medium, high. And in uh, a new reevaluation code, so right. four new codes, and those that were revalued as well. Uh, unfortunately, they're not paying differentially for the codes; they're paying them all the same. Okay. Uh, but we'll get data on, you know, sort of the distribution of those codes. But through that process, there was a, a small increase in the value. So, in a very static payment environment, we'll take any increase. Take any uh, increase you can get. Can get. So. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we move on, can you just define locum tenens? Because I yes. think a lot of people do do, yeah. do not know what that is. Yes, it's um, it's a concept that will allow a provider, uh, if they're on leave for sickness, for vacation, or other issues. Mm -hmm to allow another licensed provider to bill under their number. Right. So they don't have to go through the enrollment process and get that number, but it's a temporary way to essentially uh, maintain the continuum of care. And so it provides a lot of flexibility for our private practices. And Sandy Norby, who uh, is a private practitioner awesome. from Iowa, yes. uh, would always tell her. the story of how she used to have to sleep in clinics to cover maternity leave, to cover uh, you know elder care uh, demands of one of her therapists. Yeah. And now it'll allow those practices to really um, have more flexibility in keeping the care. And at the end of the day, you know the patients, you know, the, patient the, the option is yeah. the option is you, a lot of times that care got canceled. Yeah, and, and that so, should not be even exactly. remotely an option. And yeah. is that just for Medicare or is that for all Yeah, it's a Medicare-specific policy specific. and okay. to Part B of Medicare as well. Right, right. So impacts uh, private practices, and it's part of a regulatory uh, initiatives that we've been working on for a number of years with private practice on how do we get more flexibility for our, our private practitioners. Yeah, yeah. They've just seen the opposite end of that of more regulation, not the regulatory flexibility. Right. So. But is that not the craziest thing? What a crazy rule. Yeah. It just doesn't even make any sense. No, exactly. So that's, I think, and that's a big win because I remember advocating like five years ago for that exactly. on Capitol Hill. Yep. At least five years. It might have been six. So this, this, I think what people don't understand, and, and what I hear a lot sometimes, people who are outside of the APTA, I say, well, well, they're not even doing anything for us. Like they're not advocating for this. They're not going to Capitol. And it's like, yes, they are. But you don't go one day and a law is passed within the year. Forget about within a week or a couple of months. I mean, it takes a long time. Exactly. It's a. Uh you know, I forget the data on Congress, but you know, it's less than 10% of all bills introduced ever become law. Mm -hmm. And of those 10%, it averages like nine years 
from introduction to, so we're on 20 years for therapy cap, we were on six years for local tenants, but it's sort of, in the advocacy space, we're sort of always talking about long obedience in the same direction. Mm -hmm. You just have to stay at it and plot along. And, um, you know, we stuck at direct access was from 1979 to just a few years ago to get all 50 states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 30 plus years and I, I sort of laugh now. I go out and speak to students or groups and direct access uh, is sort of unknown now. And it was such a legislative battle for years and now people I are like, know. well, we have it, so now we're implementing it. And that's that's an exciting yeah. policy victory as well. I, I agree. And now it's just all those individual states trying to get to expand that direct exactly. access. But I think the first direct access was like in 1959 in Nebraska. Correct. Right? Yeah, and it was against, it, it, direct access is such a great story for the profession on our identity and our, our need to be a, uh, our own profession. Um, when they, the House of Delegates of APTA uh, passed, it was part of our uh, code of ethics and policies that you could not practice without a referral until 1979. And so when it, that passed our House of, House of Delegates in 1979, uh, Nebraska and I believe California went back and found they didn't have a practice didn't have a referral in their practice act, so they were already had direct access without ever having to seek legislation. Now California had a weird history with they not having the referral in their practice act, but they needed a diagnosis. So that's a longer story for another time. But uh, those a diagnosis were the two from a physician. Correct. Uh, so they didn't have the referral, but they needed the diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, so they yeah, never yeah. truly were direct yeah, access yeah, yeah. Uh, until just recently. Uh, but the the way we defined direct access for years was the absence of a referral requirement, or that a patient could go directly and then you could get the certification or referral. Right. So. Right. Man, I know what a long time. Okay, so what we'll have time for maybe one one more one more thing for for 2017 that that you're really focusing on to push the profession forward. Yeah, we're focusing, and I'll go back to the staff. Um, we're focusing on operational excellence at APTA, and how do we make APTA more responsive uh, to its members? How do we allow more venues for members to engage? And how do we continue to push forward the initiatives that were identified in our past, whether that's the Choose PT campaign or the registry or payment reform, but also begin to prepare for what's next. Uh, APTA will hit its centennial in just a few short years. And so 2017 in some ways is sort of a pivot year for us, is how do we put a bow on those initiatives of the past of the movement system registry, payment reform, but then how do we define what's next for the profession so that we hit the next century uh, better prepared to sort of deliver that value promise we have for patients and, and payers and policymakers. And you know, given we're at combined sections meetings uh, right now in San Antonio, how important is it of the input of all the different sections uh, to push those goals forward or to, to kind of, like you said, pivot this year and start looking forward again? Yeah, well, you'll see it this week. Uh, sections are our strength. Um, you know, PT is a very diverse, dynamic profession, and people identify uh, with with sections and or settings in which they practice. So one of our challenges is how do we take these and make a community? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the discussions we're going to have on Wednesday with our component leaders is APTA uh, House of Brands, or are we a branded house? And what does that mean for our future? Not that either of those alternatives are necessarily good or bad, but can we be intentional in building a strategy that helps promote the identity of the profession, mm-hmm. but also the subcomponents of the professions of whether we practice in private practice, whether we practice in home health, women's health, 
uh, oncology, right. uh, whatever our patient population or practice setting in, um, is part of a bigger equation of promoting the profession and delivering value. Right, so it, it sounds like finding that cohesion yes. between uh, all of the different sections while keeping to the overall values and vision of the APTA. Yeah. It's really using you know, using diversity of our practices as a Which strength. Which is great, yeah. yeah. Versus great. it being a, a, an element of fragmentation. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's a delicate balancing act because, you know, the, the, you know, the sections can be very specific on their initiatives in their clinical area, but how does that feed an overall initiative? Yeah. And so we spend a lot of time looking for those connection points. Yeah. How do we connect the dots? Well, I look forward to hearing what comes out of CSM on yeah. all of this stuff. I think it's going to be a great week. And like we said, it's a record number of people heading to San Antonio. Absolutely. Um, and so I have one last question. And I probably should have prepped you for this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, so I ask this of everyone now because it's kind of a, a great, uh, a fun way to get some good advice. Uh, especially for students and new grads, but if you were to give yourself, give your new grad self a piece of advice, given where you are now in your life and in your profession, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, take more risks early. Um, I think that first five years of practice, you can really get sort of uh, stagnated, which um, you know you come out with all this energy and all this uh, ways to to impact the profession. And um, I just take risks early. Uh, start a practice, uh, do something that you've always wanted to do. Um, and uh, I'm not a risk taker, um, but early in my career, I fell into lobbying. And um, I sort of, uh, that was a risk that I took and back, gosh, in 1999, uh, with two years clinical experience. And 18 years later, uh, I've had a great career working on behalf of the profession. So that would be my advice. I think that's great advice. And thank you for taking the time out of uh, your probably overwhelmingly busy schedule. I spoke to Sharon last week and she gave me a little snippet into her schedule. I'm sure yours is just as crazy. I'm getting used to the new reality. Yeah, the new reality of <laughs> just saying, hey, 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 and not really sitting down. So I appreciate you coming you. and sitting down. Enjoyed and, it. And I think everybody is going to love it. So thanks so much. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Uh, Justin Moore at APTA.org. So email is kind of the key. Uh -huh. um, but also just, uh, you know, call APTA and they can yeah. track me down. You're on Twitter. Exactly. He's on the I'm Twitter. I'm accessible. You're Some... accessible. <laughs> You're around. All right. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Anytime. And everyone, thanks for tuning in. Uh, have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.